Welcome to the podcast, People of the Book. I'm your host, Meryl Ain. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We chat with authors and storytellers in thought-provoking and intimate interviews, all with a Jewish twist. On today's program, I'm delighted to welcome Zibby Owens. Zibby is a podcaster, author, CEO, and mother of four. She founded Zibby Media, which includes Zibby Books, a publishing home for fiction and memoir, Zibby Mag, a literary lifestyle destination, and Zibby Audio, a podcast network, which includes her own award-winning daily show, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, named New York City's most powerful book influencer by Vulture, Zibby is a regular contributor to Good Morning America, a media personality and an avid essayist. She has edited two anthologies, written a children's book, Princess Charming, and released a memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature. A graduate of Yale and Harvard Business School, she currently lives in New York and sometimes LA with her four children and her husband, Kyle Owens, founder and CEO of Morning Moon Productions. So welcome, Zibby. And first, I want to say that I read Bookends and I was so impressed with your courage and candor in earnestly writing about the challenges as well as the blessings in your life. I loved your honesty in sharing your personal journey of loss, anxiety, food issues, finding love, reverence for literature, and ultimately reinvention. I'm excited to have this opportunity to, to chat with you about your memoir and your many amazing projects, which seem to be growing by the minute. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. And this is a true delight. Thank you. So first, why don't, why don't you give our listeners a brief summary of bookends for those who haven't yet read it? Sure. Bookends is my deeply personal life story about all of the many plot twists that occurred in my own life. And I accompanied all of those with books that I was reading at the same time. I tend to remember moments not by what I wore, but by what I was reading and included all of that in the book in addition to my own story. And the story, um, the heart of the story really is the loss of my best friend on 9-11. Her name was Stacy Sanders and we were college roommates and roommates afterwards. And uh, she worked on the floor of the North Tower that the first plane hit and we'll never really know what happened. But that moment in my life was a, a huge turning point where I fully realized that Life is fleeting is not just an expression, but something that I carry with me front and center every single moment of the day and in part inspires me to work quickly and efficiently as if I'm racing against time. Uh, and so I, I talk about my love of books and how books have been a through line, not just for me, but for others in my family and how important they've been to all of our journeys, including loss. And I, I write about 
the aftermath of that particular loss while I was at Harvard Business School, but also subsequent losses and joys. And I traced my career through everything um, to get me up to now. And it's been it's been a crazy journey. I, I was never you know, hanging off the side of a mountain. There's nothing as dramatic as that. It's it's more about friendship and loss and everyday life and how you make sense of the world and your place in it. Yeah, I it it was very it was very touching. And I think for those of us um, who live in in the New York area and and really um, knew people and and had friends and relatives who we lost on 9-11 it, it it's different than you know if you you saw it on on tv and heard about it and and all the the horror of it and you you really you you really bring it home and and you really do honor um stacy's memory you're you're very open uh in the book um not only about your, you know, your loss of Stacy and your other losses, but your struggles with anxiety, depression, shyness, dieting, <laughs> juggling four kids. Um, where did you find the courage to go public with all of these matters? And why did you want to share this um, with your readers and, and your followers? I've always shared my innermost thoughts in a way that I hope can help others. It started when I was 14 and had gained some weight and wrote an essay about it that was intended for me to process what had happened. But my mother found it and encouraged me to send it to Seventeen Magazine because she said, oh, well, these could really help other girls. So I sent that in and they bought the article and ran it two years later. Um, and that also sort of changed my life because not only was it really neat for me to see my words in in a national magazine, but the magazine got so many letters in response that I got to read that they, some of which they reprinted in subsequent issues. And I realized that I had really struck a nerve with this particular group of readers. And in bookends, I say that I feel like I've been writing for those readers ever since, um, because I just keep sharing, not in a gross way, I don't think. I don't think I'm oversharing in the way that, you know, it's no. not supposed to be exploitative, no, but I, I, I try to find the, I try to find the things that I'm feeling that I, I just know other people must be feeling, and I'm not afraid to talk about them. I don't know why. I guess because I've gotten so much positive reinforcement for doing that for the last thirty years plus. Um, it helps people, and it helps me, and so it's like a win-win. So the fact that it started with an article and culminated in a memoir to me doesn't come as a surprise since I've been practicing that skill set for so many decades. Absolutely, and I think it's it's important for for people to know that they're not the only ones struggling with these things. So it's very it's very inspirational. Um, one of the things I really respect um, in in the memoir is how you're so open and honest about the material blessings you have. You're the granddaughter of successful German-Jewish entrepreneurs on both sides. Your father is Steven Schwartzman, CEO of the Blackstone Group and New York Public Library benefactor. And you write that in the past, uh, there were times you tried to hide your privilege, but you clearly made the decision to embrace it in 
bookends. I was touched by the thank you to your father in your acknowledgments. Um, you wrote, because of your hard work, dad, I can help so many other people. It's a huge ripple effect. So um, Zibby, you want to tell us a little bit about that ripple effect? It actually, I think, starts with my grandfather on my mother on my mother's side, um, who was the first person in my family to to give back, and then um, and he, which I write about in the book, you know, came from a very poor Hungarian Jew, uh, Jewish immigrant family and got a full scholarship to Oberlin. The janitor left the lights on in the library to allow him to work longer after he did his jobs on campus and he ended up because of the extra work he was able to do at in those late hours becoming a, a success in the retail business and eventually in manufacturing took his company public and was able to give back a building to Oberlin and thanked the janitor in his speech um, at the opening of that uh, which is yet another example of, of giving back and generosity in my family um, but my my father did the same thing by building up a business from scratch and i've witnessed those two men in particular but also my grandfather my dad's dad started a a small home goods store in philadelphia he was um, austrian jewish and did not have any aspirations to to expand it although my dad wanted him to make it into bed bath and beyond but he refused but anyway <laughs> um I have had all these role models of of success and all of them compounded, especially my dad and his company Blackstone has now become like leading asset manager like in the world or something crazy. Um, and I've been I've had a front row seat to all of that. And I realize as this essentially third generation, if you will, I mean, we are not in any way a dynasty, right? My parents are divorced. This was my father's, you know, my mom's dad and my dad and on my, so it's, it's not like I'm not a Rothschild or anything like that, but I am in this unique <laughs> position um, uh, by happenstance to be afforded the luxury of not having to work every day to earn money, but to give back. And um, I feel my role is more, to use my privilege, which I do not take for granted. It's hard one. I mean, my dad is working nonstop still. He's 75 years old. So he, uh, it's not like anyone is, you know, sitting around eating bonbons, as he would say. But yeah. uh, I am in this unique position to, to do good, I feel, and to, um, to build something that that is also helping people. So, um, well, yes, I am trying to make this. I mean, I am making this into a sustainable business um, with the publishing company and everything else. My my real goal is how many people, how many people's lives can I make better, directly or indirectly, um, by starting all of this. And this, it, I didn't realize it would ever grow to this, and I'm delighted it has. Um, I I set out to write a book, and I've ended up bringing so many books to so many people in a way that is so much better than the one book that I wrote. Well, it's, uh, I, I do, I love your book. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, so one of the, one of the happiest features of your memoir is your love story, um, with Kyle. And I want to share, um, with our listeners, a few lines from the book and ask you to comment on them. It's about Kyle's decision uh, to convert to Judaism. You write, out of nowhere, Kyle said, I'm thinking of converting to Judaism. Kyle had grown up Catholic. 
His father wore a cross around his neck. His mother, Susan, started planning her Christmas dinner menu right after Easter. Meanwhile, I had grown up Jewish. We celebrated Shabbat most Fridays. The kids went to Hebrew school. Zibi, um, talk about this decision um, that Kyle made um, on his own, it seems like, and what it meant to you and your family um, for Kyle to proactively tell you that he wanted to convert. I had never expected him to convert. It was I. It was important to me to marry someone Jewish with who I would have kids with, and I did that. My first husband was Jewish. We have four Jewish kids, and I felt okay. like okay, cross that off the list. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have added more to the population than I started with, so I'm done. Um, but I, I think that Kyle really could sense the connection that I had culturally to Judaism. And from a time perspective, it's not like I spend a lot of time practicing, right? I don't, you know, his dad goes to church every week. Like I don't go to services every, every week. I, I hardly ever go unless my daughter's performing or something. Mm -hmm. um, and I go to the high holiday services and, you know, I'm, I'm one of those. I do, we do have Shabbat, but it's not even a full meal. Sometimes it's just the candles and a bite of challah before we run our separate ways. Mm -hmm. But I had started taking Kyle to my kid's religious school who at the time, and at the time for the last 15 minutes, they had this tefillah service where they were teaching the kids some of the songs and the blessings. And I think it was accidentally teaching Kyle all the same things at the same time. <laughs> and he saw how much of a community it was. And he, while his family was Catholic, he didn't practice that at all. And himself. And so I think he was excited to join in. And he also <laughs> told me, he was like, well, if, if the afterlife depends on your religion, like I'd like to end up with you wherever we go together for oh. eternity, which was very sweet. Um, so I was delighted. It's been great. He fasts, he goes to services. Oh, um, you know, he did the whole thing. And, um, you know, as soon as he told me, I was like, no, we were sitting on the couch. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to tell my grandmother. She's going to flip out. So uh, it, it was just really nice. And it, I think for every Jewish friend I have or family member, when I'm like, Kyle convert, everyone's like, oh, <laughs> like, that's so nice. <laughs> so now not only have I contributed my four kids, I've also roped in another. Wow. Grown -up. You, what a, what a great job. What a I, great, I've done job. a, I've done a mitzvah. <laughs> you have done a mitzvah. And I, um, I loved the comment in the book that Kyle said he felt like he was Jewish already because he'd watched every <laughs> yeah. single episode of Seinfeld. He did say and, that. <laughs> I mean, we just keep watching them and watching them and watching them over and over again. And we actually watched an episode last night that we had never watched before. And I, I don't know how that happened, but um, it, it was interesting. Um, so did, did his conversion, um, influence your involvement in Judaism or your practice at all? Did you feel, you know, that you, you, you were doing Shabbat, you know, with the, with the challah and whatever before, or did, did, did you feel that you um, had to get a little more involved because he converted? Um, 
I think the temple thinks I should because I keep getting all these. <laughs> <lists>. <laughs> They're like, Let, let's talk about this new building again. You know. Oh <laughs> uh, well, that's a whole different story. <laughs> I mean, I know, we know right. about that, but come on. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Comes with the territory. Um, uh, no, I don't feel a new sense of pressure. Um, uh, it's not like he has adopted it so much that he's like, I'm going to services, let's go, right? So he's he's happy just to, to, to do, you know, whatever. But I will say that, um, Interestingly, when Kyle's mom and grandmother both passed away from COVID, which was horrific, and, you know, we were in charge of their care remotely, and his mother was in the hospital for six weeks, and it was a whole medical debacle, and she ended up dying. It was, the whole thing was so horrific. And I will say that the temple and the community were so there for him and for me during that time in a way that no other organized community really was. I mean, everything from like a little care package. I was like, oh my gosh, we're the family right now <laughs> um, that, that is receiving this. this, And just the, the outreach from the rabbis and having, including their names in the services, um, even though they weren't Jewish, it didn't matter. And so I feel like almost right away, I mean, it was almost, it was only three years later from his conversion, there was a huge, a safety net of spirituality and community um, right when he needed it the most. So I, I am particularly grateful to everyone for that. And of course, then Kyle also got to be Jewish through my older kids bar and bat mitzvahs and all the during COVID. And um, so I, I think it's it hasn't, it hasn't enhanced my practice necessarily, but it has enhanced my um, how important it is to my own identity. Yeah, well, I think at, at best, you know, Judaism, um, it's, it is a community. And when it, you know, behaves in the way you just described, um, that is very, very embracing and, and very important. Um, so you, you mentioned um, the terrible time you had during the the pandemic which you write about in the book that both Kyle's grandmother and his mother Susan died six weeks apart in the summer of 2020 before before the vaccine and your own grandmother um, died of natural causes during the pandemic at 97 and you had to attend yet another virtual funeral, which I mean, those virtual funerals, you know, you just feel that, you know, people lived a good life, and they at least deserve to have, you know, a great funeral. I, it's so sad. Um, you, you write in the book that you turn to books during that time uh, for solace. Um, but you were also, which is amazing, able to continue um, to expand your business. I'm wondering um, what inspired you and gave you the strength to keep going like that when you would experience, you know, so much tragedy and heartache during the pandemic? I think I needed it. Um, I think it really helped me get through it. Mm -hmm. uh, I needed an outlet. I was home with the kids and I, I needed to stay busy. That's how that's that's how that's how I did it. So um, not the first weeks, right? Not during the 
immediate aftermath of Susan's loss and you know, when it, my brain was foggy and it felt traumatic and, and all of that. But uh, I felt like there was nothing I could do, but what I could do, like there was nothing I could do to help the whole world, but what I, and fight COVID, but I, I could help the author community. And I felt like I was well set up for that because I had been hosting my podcast for a couple of years and I, I had a, a sense of what book launches were like and, and how important it was and how, and so I just decided, you know what, like, this is what I can do. This is what I am supposed to be doing right now. And so I'm doing it. I have to. And so I did. And I ended up, you know, we we're talking a lot about community, but it, it did end up helping me form my own community as well. And they ended up being all there for me. They were there to catch me when I fell. And um, there's still people who say that they were one of the people who followed me through COVID because I, I was posting about it daily um, when when Susan died or people who say they watched my Instagram live show the first couple months. Um, so. I don't know. It's it's work helping other people and also working hard is like my that's how I do the best in life. That's when I feel the best and that's like my happy place. Mhm. So are you back to a um non-covid uh operation or is it a hybrid? I I was fascinated with the the idea of salons that you did. I mean, that was always my dream to sort of have a, a bed and breakfast in, in New England and hold literary salons. Um, do you still do that or um, or did you just stop that during COVID and haven't resumed that? I've had one, maybe one or two. Um... I canceled so much. I was going to do a whole retreat. I mean, mm -hmm. I had so many plans. I actually, I am doing a Hanukkah event. I have to invite you. Oh, thank <laughs> I you. Just, uh, yeah, I just sent the invitation <laughs> last night. I'm doing it with the Jewish Book Council. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, so I am doing that with two uh, two authors, um, like a pre-Hanukkah little celebration with a book oh, swap. Oh, great. Okay. Um, but that's the only one I have planned for now. Um, mm -hmm. I, I love doing that. I love it so much. I just... My main focus, well, I shouldn't say that. I, I do love doing it. I would like to go back to doing it. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping in 2023. And our own books are coming out from Zibby Books starting soon. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk about that in a minute. I just <laughs> wanna I just wanna wrap up um with the with the memoir, um, with bookends. Um I'm interested. You said that you when you started um writing it and it was 20 years in the making um you started out as a novel um called 40 love would, would you share a bit about your uh, publishing journey with our listeners oh man it's such a long journey i'm going to summarize uh, this the headline the headline the headline is um <laughs> Lots of lots of rejection along the way. My first book I tried to sell was called Off Balance, and I wrote that in two thousand and three, two thousand and four, um, which didn't sell. And then I I basically waited a while after rewriting that four times. I waited many years and and got back into book writing uh, after I got divorced and had some free time on my hands um, and tried to write. I mean, I didn't try. I wrote 
novel called 40 Love, which by the way, I, <laughs> a friend was like, you should pull that out again. Maybe it was good because I sent it out right before the <laughs> pandemic. So I opened it um, actually last night because I'm, I'm actually writing another novel now called Blank. And I was like, oh, wait, if this one's already done, I'll just send this to my editor and then I don't have to finish the sure. other one. Sure. But I opened it. I was like, this is so not good. I, I, I can write in a lot of different styles. And so I wrote that in a much more literary style. But ultimately, that's not who I am or how I write. Like, I can do it. And it was fine. But it's not me. And it just, it's not the way I write. My, my next book is very funny and um, has like my voice in it, even though it's okay. fiction. Okay. So when, um, when do you think that'll be out? That is scheduled to come out in uh, 2024. Probably okay. summertime. Oh, great. So um, you you write in the book that during the pandemic, you realized that you could change the book world. Uh, this is what you wrote. While I homeschooled my four kids, did a zillion loads of laundry, interviewed authors and read, I slowly started seeing how I could change the book world. Zibby, what in particular did you want to change? Oh, mostly I wanted to make authors feel that they were super important, that they were a part of the process, that the publisher was investing in the author and not just the book, and that what they toiled over for so long and was their, their baby would be taken really good care of. And so it was like, I've, I'm like the nanny of everybody's book. Oh, or that's, that's a nice way of putting it. That That's great. So, um, so let me ask you about um, Zibby books. Um, what's it like building your own publishing house in an environment where the industry faces so many challenges? I mean, I, a day or a week doesn't go by where there's, there's, you know, a, not another article about, you know, publishing is, you know, the problems with it and, and this big uh, house might eat up this other one, and then there'll only be four instead of five. So, um, so can you elaborate on that a little bit more about um, what's different about Zibby books? I mean, you just talked about the you know relationship with the author but um can you talk about that a little more sure um no i i am not afraid to go in when when people are having a hard time i think that's the best time to go in um i'm trying to do something differently and there's clear that there's a need for something different to be done at the moment. This has nothing against anybody who works in publishing. I think everybody tries so hard mm -hmm. and loves books and is very well intentioned. But I think structurally, the way that the big five houses and all of the other, you know, more traditional things are set up, um, it's it's tough. You know, it's tough to be nimble and turn a tight corner if you're driving a giant truck, right? So um, I'm trying to get in and and just not take over the world. I just have a small slice of books that I'm trying to to put out, but I'm hoping at the least it sends a message about what I think is important in the publishing journey and how you can do it in a more collaborative way among authors and team members. And, um, you know, <laughs> now that I'm deep <laughs> in the weeds of this, I'm like, uh, I'm never, 
thinking anything negative about any publisher again for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? It's so hard. Yeah. It, it, there is, it, it, there's a lot it, more it, that it, goes on than you think from the outside. So it's hard. It is really hard. Uh, but I, I'm determined to try. I mean, I'm not determined to try. I am doing it. I am determined to succeed. And um, success to me is getting our books into a lot of people's hands. Yes, but also just showing people it can be done, that there are many ways to do it. And um, I don't know. It, it, this is just, it's just important. So I don't know. I'm trying my best. I well, you you always do that, and we can we can see the result of that. Um, so, are there any? Uh, I know it's it's um, novels and and memoir. What what do you look for in a book, or is there anything in in particular? Um, you know that that you're geared to. Um, we only look for contemporary fiction and memoir. We mm -hmm. we call it like contemporary upmarket uh, mm -hmm. commercial fiction mm -hmm. and memoir. So books about the here and now with a strong sense of place, a strong sense of voice, beautiful writing, propulsive narratives, so you won't fall asleep right <laughs> on the first page, um, and something that's worth people's time. Okay. Um, so uh, our time is drawing to a close. Do you want to tell us briefly about Zibby Mag and Zibby Audio? Sure, I'd love to. Zibby Mag is our new online magazine for now, although I'd really like to have it as a printed magazine, but I'm not quite there yet. It's a literary lifestyle destination. So think, uh, you know, Ralph Lauren meets Us Weekly or something, <laughs> or Town and Country, Town and Country meets The New Yorker, or except more accessible than that. So we're trying to do um, an aspirational brand where it's inclusive, of course, but just there's some glamour and sophistication to it. And it's sort of like this designed to make people feel that they're opting into a way of life. Um, mm -hmm. so having it be a lifestyle brand for readers, not so much the nuts and bolts all the time of reading, but what it means to be a reader, what readers are thinking and feeling. Uh, in, there is some inside scoop-ish to books. We have some cover reveals, exclusive cover reveals and things like that. We have wonderful essays. And also we have this lit lifestyle column, which is a bit tongue in cheek, but when we profile people like Danny Shapiro, we don't just say, this is Danny, but we say like, don't you love her shirt? Like you can get that too, here's this link. <laughs> so I want people to access bits and pieces of this literary life. And if that's someone's favorite smoothie recipe, I haven't gotten there yet, but you know, I, pieces that make author, bring authors closer to people. My whole theory and my podcast, Moms Never Time to Read Books, which is 365 days a year, uh, is that the more you get to know the author, the more likely you'll be to invest the time in reading their book. And so I try to do that in multiple ways, both the podcast and also this magazine with author interviews, author features, inside looks, and just bringing, bringing authors out of the back, the, they've been relegated to the back flap of their own books, right? That is, they be, that is true. That they should be front true. and center. They should be front and center. So, and the and the magazine is really is really gorgeous, and Thank of course you. the podcast is is amazing. Um, so I'm almost afraid to ask this, Zibby. Uh oh, uh oh. <laughs> I know, I know that there's an answer. Uh oh. Okay, I'm ready. What, what's next for you? There's always something. What's, what's next? next? Um, I know I'm really trying not to do what's next. The, the main thing that's next is getting these books to market. 
uh, in Fe February 7th is our launch day for the Zibby books. And uh, that is what we're all very much focused on that and all the books once a month that come out after that. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd really like to open some stores. <laughs> That's, stores. So um, I Zibby actually stores. Wow. Yeah, Zibby stores. So I actually had been on this one lease situation, um, but I want to. It has to be in the right place. Mm -hmm. uh, so anyway, that's one thing I'd like to do is have like meetup places and community center. I don't know, some sort of store concept. Um, I am growing all the things we're doing. More shows are being added to my podcast network uh, and for Zibby Audio. Um, I'm writing my novel, as I mentioned, for me. Uh, and it's more about growth. At this point, I feel like I've identified the three tiers, the three sort of verticals of my Zibby Media brand. And right now I am in a big growth mode for those, um, marketing, advertising, just building up what I have before trying to take on something else. But that said, I am not going to behold, I'm not going to stay <laughs> accountable to that because every day I have a new idea um, of something I want to do. So I'm, I just keep them on a list on my bulletin board and I'm like, all in due time. Well, good, good for you. Best of luck. A mazel tov. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to share with us, or did we cover everything? Um, just go to zibimag.com and sign up on the mailing list. We have a great weekly newsletter. Mm -hmm. Uh, so please sign up for that and follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens. Okay. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Zibby Owens. The book is Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature. I also want to thank our executive producer, Pam Stack. People of the Book is a copyrighted presentation of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Please visit us and like our Facebook page, People of the Book. I'm your host, Meryl Ain, the author of The Takeaway Men, the sequel, Shadows We Carry, will be published next April. For more information about my books and writing, visit me at merylane.com. Until next time, please join us on Facebook at Jews Love to Read and read a good book. <laughs>